0: 2 Chronicles 9, and verse 1, interesting story, I think you'll find it fascinating this morning, when the Queen of Sheba heard the fame of Solomon, she came to Jerusalem to test Solomon with difficult questions. She had a very large retinue with camels carrying spices and a large amount of gold and precious stones, and when she came to Solomon, she spoke with him about all that was on her heart. Solomon answered all her questions. Nothing was hidden from Solomon, which he did not explain to her. With the queen of Sheba, or when she had seen the wisdom of Solomon, the house which he had built, the food at his table, the seating of his servants, the attendance of his, master, of his ministers and their attire, his cupbearers and their attire, and his stairway by which he went up to the house of the Lord, she was breathless. And then she said to the king, "'It was a true report,' which I heard in my own land about your words and your wisdom. Nevertheless, I did not believe their reports until I came and my eyes had seen it. Then behold, the half of the greatness of your wisdom was not told to me. Your, you surpass, she said, the report that I heard. How blessed are your men! How blessed are those, these are your servants who stand before you continually and hear your wisdom. Blessed be the Lord your God, who delighted in you, setting you on His throne as king for the Lord your God, because your God loved Israel, establishing them forever. Therefore He made you king over them to do justice and righteousness. Then she gave the king 120 talents of gold and a very great amount of spices and precious stones. There had never been spice like that which the queen of Sheba gave to Solomon. Verse 12. King Solomon gave to the Queen of Sheba all her desire, which she had requested, besides the return, which she had brought to the king. And then she returned, or turned, and went to her own land with her servants. Father, we ask for your blessing on the reading and the study of your word this morning. We pray, Lord, that you would just speak into us. Lord, I am, I am always fascinated, always excited by the depth of your word. By the power, Lord, there there is no book like this. Though we were to take all the books ever written by man, they could not even be stacked on the same table as the single Bible. Because it is so awesome. We love, Lord, seeing how it fits together, how it continues to encourage our faith and, and build up those who believe, how, Lord, it brings unmistakable truth to those who are questioning and wondering And we ask that You do the same thing again this morning. Show us in Your Word. And by the power of Your Holy Spirit, show us, Lord, the truths that are here. Take us beyond the history and into the heart of our Father. We pray this in Your Spirit, asking Your Spirit to teach. In Jesus' name, Amen. Who was the Queen of Sheba? No doubt at some point in your life you've heard that name. Maybe you've heard some of the legends or the folklore that's gone on about this Queen of Sheba. She's famous in Arabian legends. If you Google the name, you'll find that she has other names, not just Queen of Sheba, but she's called Bilkis among the Arabs. She's also called Makeda in other cultures. And there are several things that are kind of some maybe traditions, some just folklore or people aren't really sure who she was or, or what she was about, but regardless of all the folklore and the legends and the myths that may have sprung up about this queen, we know Jesus Himself acknowledged her existence and the story of her visit to Jerusalem to King Solomon. I'll tell you something, for me, that's all I need to know, is that Jesus acknowledges her. Once He acknowledges someone as true, I believe they are. You know, Jesus talks about the prophet Daniel. And assigns him a reality, truth as a prophet of Israel. And so, those who would say, "I'm not sure if Daniel really existed," I say, "Well, Jesus thought he did, and that's good enough for me." Jesus talks about the reality, the truth of Jonah, and I I have no problem with the story of Jonah being swallowed by the big fish and three days in the belly of the fish and spit out, puked up on the ground. Jesus said it happened. I don't think he said he puked him up, but you know, he talks about the story, and so it's validated. And again, if Jesus says it, that's good enough for me. Well, Jesus acknowledges the existence of this queen from the south, the Queen of Sheba, and her visit to Solomon. And so that's good enough for me. We know this woman existed. But what's her story? What's this all about? Some believe she traveled all the way from Ethiopia. But that's where she made the journey from. In northern Africa there, more conservative scholars tend to lean toward a different location for the Queen of Sheba. They say she came from what would be present-day Yemen, the the Arabian Peninsula down there in the south, right up near the sea. The reason why some believe that is Yemen itself was once known as the kingdom of the Sabaeans. The capital was Seba. And so very likely she may have been the queen of Seba or or Sheba in Arabic language. We know that Yemen was once a land that kingdom of the Sabaeans celebrated for its trade in gold and precious stones and, interestingly, spices. And we notice about this queen back there in verse 1 that she had a very large retinue with camels carrying spices and a large amount of gold and precious stones. And we see later on that in verse 9 that there had never been spice like that which the queen of Sheba gave to King Solomon. So there are some connections there and and those who study such things say, yeah, it's, it's likely that it was Yemen and not necessarily Ethiopia. Do we know for sure? No, we don't. But depending on where you locate this kingdom of the Sabaeans or Sheba, the queen of Sheba's uh, existence, we know that at a minimum, for her to travel from her kingdom up to Jerusalem, minimum 1,500 miles. That's 75 days travel by camelback. And I thought touring America as a youngster in the back of a Toyota wagon was difficult. (laughs) 75 days on the back of a camel. An incredible journey that she made. Why would this queen... Down on the Arabian Peninsula, if that's where she was, why would she be so fascinated, so intrigued, that she would make this journey all the way up to sea for herself? The Queen of Sheba chartered her camels on a course of curiosity. She just was curious. She had heard about Solomon. Word about him had reached all the way to her kingdom. About this king who had just such wealth. It was unparalleled about a king who had such amazing wisdom, you had to talk to him to see for yourself. And so she traveled to test the truth of the tale. And she would not be disappointed. Interesting, a journey of curiosity that ends in commitment. Because she goes taking that retinue of spices, gold, precious stones, and at at a minimum, we know she brought all that with her because she was seeking alliance there with Solomon. If there is a king as great as I'm hearing, I want to be connected to this guy. I want my kingdom and his kingdom to have some support between the two. But it actually looks like more than a, an alliance happened. I'm not talking about a relationship between Solomon and Shavas. Some believe that happened and, and they ended up having a son and there's a whole you know, uh, folklore that goes down those lines. I don't know about that. The Bible doesn't give us that information. But something else... Something else came out of this trip, I believe, of the Queen of Sheba up to Jerusalem. We'll come back to that in just a minute. But the distance she traveled maps out an interesting route for us, just as people today. And that is the distance between curiosity and commitment. Most of us, if we're not there right now, we started in the place of curiosity about this Jesus and about this Christianity stuff. What is it really about? What's the deal? I mean, people spend their whole lives going to church. Some of them I don't want to be like, but there are others I really do want to be like. Some people have this, this joy about them and they talk about Jesus as though He's a real person. as so though there's something unique and different. A lot of people come to the King of Kings out of curiosity. Just like the Queen of Sheba came to the great King of Israel out of curiosity herself. Brothers and sisters in Christ, Christians, listen to me, there is a standard by which you share Christ. And we need to understand, some people will come out of curiosity, but that that curiosity doesn't want fulfillment in commitment. That curiosity is just, I just want to poke around a little bit. I have no intention to commit. And when you have that, often what follows is years of endless debate, and controversy, and striving, and doubting, and questioning, and never truly being satisfied. If someone comes with that kind of argumentative position Christians again listen to me on this Titus chapter 3 verse 9 we're told to avoid foolish controversies avoid foolish controversies genealogies and strife and disputes about the law they are unprofitable and worthless Everything okay there it was the Lord. Oh They are so fascinated with the gospel I tell you <laughs> These horses are curious right there. (laughs) But don't miss this, gang. We are called to avoid foolish controversies. We are not to be people who are argumentative. You don't have to be. Our faith does not exist for the purpose of defending your curiosities or debating silly controversies. That's not why we're here. We're not trying to get people to side up with us so that the Christian right in America can be bigger and more influential in government. We don't care about that. We're not even concerned about winning. We already have. In Jesus, that's secure. So I'm encouraging you all, as I encourage myself, don't be argumentative when you're talking about Jesus. Just share what you know. The truth is enough. And either you believe this as truth or you don't. And if you believe it as truth, realize, Paul said, 2 Corinthians 2.17, we are not like the many, peddling the Word of God, but as from sincerity, as from God, we speak in Christ in the sight of God we have a truth here gang that we don't have to defend it is true in and of itself walk in it live it let the truth be seen for what it is Solomon had nothing to prove do you think when the queen of Sheba came into town Solomon started gathering his advisors saying oh man <laughs> we got to make sure we, we really convert this woman into what we teach and believe we got to be careful about this because boy we got to prove ourselves no she was amazed it didn't take any, he didn't have to do anything she asked questions he answered He takes her on a tour of Jerusalem. She is blown away. Because the truth, gang, is the truth. And you don't have to do anything to change it. To try and make it more palatable or relevant. All I have to do is share the gospel of Jesus. And if a heart is ready to receive the gospel of Jesus, the truth about Jesus Christ it's going to happen. Whether I'm eloquent or not, it's going to happen. It was a long journey for the Queen of Sheba, but more than a quest of curiosity... It was a course of commitment and when it was all said and done she was so impressed this queen glorifies God she just starts to praise him. It's it's really an interesting scene in what she says. And again tradition holds that she actually converted to Judaism on the spot. So impressed she was with Solomon in the kingdom that she became a Jew herself before she went her way. Is that true? Josephus thinks so. Um, He wrote that, the great historian. Now, is he right about everything? No, he, he may have missed some things, but it's entirely likely. But an amazing story emerged 2,800 years after the one we just read that gives us some insight into what may have happened. It's intriguing. I'll tell you more about that in a second. But let's consider what it is that the Queen of Sheba saw Go back again to verse 1, the end of the verse. It tells us that she spoke with Solomon. When she came to Solomon, she spoke to him, or with him, about all that was on her heart. And Solomon answered all her questions. Nothing was hidden from Solomon, which he did not explain to her. And when the Queen of Sheba had seen the wisdom of Solomon, and the house which he had built and the food at his table, the seating of his servants, the attendance of his ministers and their attire, his cupbearers and their attire, and his stairway by which he went up to the house of the Lord, she was breathless. She was breathless. That phrase, gang, is literally, she was, well, I I don't want to tell you that yet. (laughs) She was amazed. This is what happens when you come to the King of Kings, Jesus Christ when you truly come to the king of kings and you see him he leaves you breathless she came to a truth far greater than anything that she had imagined when she saw the glory and saw solomon she just couldn't she could hardly comprehend it blown away paul says when you come to jesus it's like that he refers to it as ephesians 1:19 the surpassing greatness of his power toward us who believe The surpassing greatness of His power. In other words, no matter how long you've known Jesus, or how well you think you know Jesus, guess what? His power surpasses that. He is greater even than the most biblical, learned walker with Jesus here can imagine. And we got together and figured out, okay, who among us really knows Jesus best? That person would be shocked if they were to see Jesus in the flesh here right now. In fact, we would all fall on our faces. Because of the surpassing greatness of His power toward us who believe. That word surpassing in Ephesians 1.19, it's a great word. Hooper ballo. I think it was the original word for basketball. Hooper ballo. Okay. <laughs> Shoot for the hoop. And, and, and what it literally means is to throw beyond. Listen to it this way. The throwing beyond of the greatness of His power. So whatever you think His power is, His power is thrown far beyond that. I, I had a, a, a Hooper ballo, a super actually when I was a kid that I bought... And I, I, I wanted this for a long time. And I saved up my pennies and when I finally saved that 10 cents, I went down to the Y store in Michigan, California and I bought that Super Bowl. And I took it home. I was so excited because I knew this was going to go straight to the moon. Hit the moon and bounce back. So I got the ball and I stood out in front of my house. Bam! Just hit his hard. I forgot that I lived on a really steep hill. <laughs> no. Super bolo! It went far beyond what I thought it was going to do. But this is the power of Jesus, gang. Far beyond what you can imagine. What you think. You think He's this powerful? We're not even close. Let me just say, if you haven't come to Jesus, you don't know what you're missing. You don't know what you're missing. I'm not just saying that as a pastor paid to talk. I'm saying from my own experience, you don't know what you're missing. How great a life walked in faith in Jesus Christ truly is. It's not about rules. It's not about religion. It's not about being uptight or square. It is about life in the fullest. Well, I'm getting ahead of myself. The queen of of Sheba was overwhelmed, blown away, so amazed by what she saw. Consider these things. She was absorbed by Solomon's wisdom. Absorbed by his wisdom. In verse 5, it goes on and, and tells us But she said to the king it was a true report which I heard in my own land about your words and your wisdom nevertheless I did not believe their reports until I came and my eyes had seen it and behold the half of the greatness of your wisdom was not told me you surpassed the report that I heard she was just amazed she's peppering him with questions about anything under the sun and Solomon would go yeah well I have something to say about that or oh yeah well here's the answer to that well the meaning behind that is simply this and he's just responding and it wasn't him it was the wisdom of God. That God told Solomon, I'm going to give you the wisdom you've asked for. I'm going to give you far more than that. But that's all he wanted. When the Lord came to him at the beginning of his kingdom, his reign, and said, What can I do for you, Solomon? he said, Could you make me wise? Because I don't think I can rule this kingdom. And God said, I'm going to give you that. So wise that the Queen of Sheba was absorbed by it. Wow. You ever feel that way when we're, when we're in the Word together? Just absorbed? Just going... God, your word is so incredible. Well, she was also awestruck by the temple which Solomon had built. He takes her on the guided tour now of Jerusalem into the temple. She sees it. Solomon's palace she sees. She is absolutely stunned at what is before her eyes. Number three, she was, and if you're keeping notes, she was absorbed by his wisdom. She was awestruck by the temple. She was, number three, astonished by the food at his table. I mean, his takeout bill must have been massive. You know, he could have kept Burger King, McDonald's, you know, Arby's, all of them in business his entire uh, career. Listen to this: First Kings four twenty-two. We shared this Wednesday. I just love this this verse. Solomon's provision for one day, one day, was thirty cores of fine flour and sixty cores of meal. What's a core? Well, thirty cores is equal to eleven thousand pounds. Of flour on a daily basis—that is a lot of cake, dudes. Eighteen thousand seven hundred and fifty pounds of meal. That's a lot of apple jacks. As I said, Wednesday. In addition to that, the bread and the meal, the ten fat oxen, twenty pasture-fed oxen, a hundred sheep, besides deer, gazelles, roebuck, and fat and fowl—one day provision at Solomon's table. And the Queen of Sheba looked at that like some of you were looking at me, and just went, "Dude, Solomon knew how to how to eat." Number four, she was astounded by the seating of his servants. Just to look around the table, you see there were so many. After all, someone had to help Solomon eat all that food, and there were many. His servants were everywhere, and she was just looking around, going, "Amazing!" She's astounded by the seating. She was amazed by the attire of his ministers and cupbearers. People who probably in her kingdom were not attired with much more than just you know, a basic robe or garb. Yet Solomon's gang, they were dressed to the nines. She was so impressed by that. Amazed by it. And number six, she was allured by Solomon's stairway to the temple. What's the deal with that? The stairway by which he went up to the house of the Lord. Apparently there was an artistically appointed staircase just for the king. It was kind of a private entrance to the temple which I think is cool because any time the t- king wanted to go to the temple he'd take his whole entire entourage and they'd have to go mass. mass, and that, that could be pretty distracting for the worshippers. So Solomon had his own staircase built. Apparently it was absolutely beautiful. Just ornamented and, and he would go up there privately to the temple. And when the queen of Sheba had seen it all verse 4 tells us that she was again breathless. What does that mean? Literally she had no more breath in her no more spirit the, the Hebrew word for breath and spirit is the same Ruach there was no spirit left in her and watch what she says verse 7 how blessed are your men How blessed are these servants who stand before you continually and hear your wisdom Bless be the Lord your God who has delighted in you setting you on his throne as king for the Lord your God because your Lord God your, your God loved Israel establishing them forever. Therefore He made you king over them to do justice and righteousness. Know what she says. Your God loved Israel, establishing them forever. Now how does she know that? How does she just figure that out? I think, just my opinion, this Sabaean queen is now speaking like one of the Hebrew prophets because she was so void of her own spirit, she was so breathless, there was room for the Holy Spirit to give her some indication about what's going on here. We kind of need to get there ourselves. Less of me, more of him. You know, Father, if you would just kind of take my spirit and set it aside so that there is room in me to have your spirit enter in so I can hear and know what's really up, what's going on. Now it's possible with this queen in the polytheistic world of today that she was just acknowledging the Lord as Israel's God, one of many. That's possible. I'll I'll concede that. But it's also possible that the Holy Spirit enlightened her in a new place, that Israel was a kingdom that was intended to be forever I think she saw the glory of Solomon and it was so amazing it reflected the glory of God and that's the way it's supposed to work Jesus said let your light shine before men in such a way that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven we're not to hide the work that we do for the Lord we're not to you know tuck away our righteousness because we don't want people to know that we're followers of Jesus keep that to ourselves no, no let it out man Let people know, if you do something good and someone comes up and and compliments you, say, hey, great, Jesus did that. Not me, because when I do stuff on my own, I mess it up pretty bad, but if I did something good, praise God. And people will think you're a little nutty at times, but hey, let them see who it is behind what it is that you do. Now, this brings me to the real point of the story. The real reason I believe behind the splendor and the grandeur of King Solomon, why God blessed him so greatly, it wasn't just because he prayed the right prayer. The Lord is always intentional with what He does in Israel. And we have seen this over and over. Watch this. I'm going to let Jesus tell you what's up here. Matthew 12.42 Jesus said, The Queen of the South will rise up with this generation at the judgment and will condemn it. Because she came from the ends of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon. And behold, something greater than Solomon is here. And that's the point. The glory of Solomon was not about Solomon. Solomon. The glory of Solomon was not even about Israel. The glory was about the greater than Solomon, Jesus Christ. The whole picture of Solomon is is a picture of glory. It's a subtle type, a hint, that points us again to the greater than Solomon who is Jesus. He was a great king. Jesus is the king of kings. And for all the kings who have ever lived, all the rulers, all the prime ministers, all the presidents in the history of the world, there is none... So great is our King of Kings, Jesus Christ. And that will be known worldwide someday, I'm assuming quickly, soon. But the greater than Solomon is Jesus, Paul refers to Jesus in 1 Timothy 6.15 as He who is the blessed and only Sovereign, the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And in Revelation 19.16 we see that on His robe and on His thigh He has a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Now listen, whether you're curious about him or truly committed in him, you've got to stop this morning and take one more look at him, the greater than Solomon. Look at him in parallel to this story. The Queen of Sheba was absorbed by Solomon's wisdom. But we have a greater than Solomon in Jesus. Colossians chapter 2, verse 3 says, In Christ are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Gang, wisdom has a name, and it is Jesus. And if you want wisdom, if you're seeking knowledge, if you want enlightenment, if you want understanding in the world, the greatest place, the only place truly to go is to Jesus. Because the Bible tells us He is wisdom. There is no other incarnation of wisdom, gang, but Jesus Christ Himself. And you will not find greater wisdom or knowledge anywhere like you can find in Jesus. You know, you can read and study and pursue all the great philosophies of men. But like Solomon and most high school students, you'll end up saying the following, Of many books there is no end, and much study is a weariness to the flesh. <laughs> and it's true! Have you ever just wanted to know something? Maybe, maybe you've gotten into in your life self-help books. And you've read a dozen and you get to the end of them and you find out I'm still no better helped than I was before. And I'll tell you something, if you were helped, if there was any wisdom in this world that is good and helpful and right in your life, it came from Jesus in the first place. It's only because Jesus gives wisdom that there is any wisdom in this world. Solomon says in Ecclesiastes 12.11, speaking of those many books and all these writings, he says, hey, it's all given by one shepherd. Wisdom is Jesus. And so we open up the Word of Christ. And every time we open this up, gang, we are opening up to wisdom and truth, knowledge and understanding. There is wisdom here. Meditate on the things that Jesus taught and on the things that Jesus said. And Paul says in Colossians 3.16, "...let the Word of Christ richly dwell within you with all wisdom." Hey, you want wisdom? Be absorbed in Jesus. The Queen of Sheba was absorbed in the wisdom of Solomon. That's nice. It's good for a season. Be absorbed in Jesus and you have the wisdom of the ages. Paul said in 1 Corinthians 1.30, By his doing you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, and righteousness, and sanctification, and redemption. A greater than Solomon is here. The Queen of Sheba was awestruck by Solomon's temple Jesus said in Matthew 12.6 I say to you something greater than the temple is here you can look at the temple and say wow it's amazing it's beautiful it's incredible and Jesus says yeah but I'm here and I am greater than the temple yet Jesus is the greater than greater than Solomon greater than the temple and we talked recently you may recall this we looked at the temple and talked about how it is a picture of Jesus how it points us to Jesus time and time again it's amazing And so the Queen of Sheba, she was awestruck by the temple. She was also astonished by the food at Solomon's table. But we have a greater than Solomon. Think about Solomon's table. The abundance of his provision, our King Jesus' abundance, is greater. There is more with him. Psalm 23, verse 5. Familiar psalm to you. You prepare a table for me in the presence of my enemies. You have anointed my head with oil. My cup overflows. You think Solomon's table was great? Jesus prepares one for you in the presence of your enemies. That means even when the enemy is attacking you, he's got a table ready to feed you and care for you. He's got a cup for you that is overflowing because his table is a better table. And we have a table that we come to. We come every week together and we gather at the table of the Lord. And Paul describes it this way. He says... Jesus said as often as you come and and eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until He comes. 1 Corinthians 11.26 It's what communion is all about. The Lord's table. And we gather at that table. I I don't want to sound judgmental in this. I know there are different reasons different people give, but I would that more believers more consistently shared in communion together. I think it's a, a tragedy in the church today that there are churches who do it once a year or once a month, or seasonally. We'll do it here, or we'll maybe do it there. And I think, why? Why? You have a table prepared. A table where the Lord says, Come and feast. In fact, in His words, John 6.54, He who eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. My flesh is true food, and my blood is true drink. And the food on Solomon's table, good as it was, could not even come close. You see, the food on Solomon's table would be eaten. And once it entered the body, it would be burned up as energy or it would be used up as waste and it would go on out and that would be it, done. But the food at Jesus' table is the stuff of eternity. It is a reminder constantly. This is why we come back to it every week. And for me, it's not enough. It's why we come back to the cross at the table of Jesus and we think about the body broken and the bloodshed. Well, that's kind of gross, Rick. Yeah, it is. In fact, it's far worse than we can even imagine. If we were to sit here and really... Have you seen The Passion? The movie? That's pretty close to what Jesus went through. Well, why do you want to think about that? Because I am reminded every time I come to that table of the passion of His love for me. I cannot deny that God loves me when I look at Jesus on the cross. I might deny it at other times when I'm having trouble with my bills. Well, God, how could You do this to me? You know? When I'm in a relationship squabble with someone, well, that's what Christianity is all about. I don't want that. But when I look at Jesus on the cross, I cannot deny that He loved me so much He died before I even accepted Him as real. So come to the table. It is better than Solomon's table. Sheba's queen was astounded by the seating of Solomon's servants. You want to hear a great verse? Ephesians chapter 2, verse 4. But God being rich in mercy, because of His great love with which He loved us, even when we were dead in our transgressions, He made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. And raised us up with Him, and watch this, seated us with Him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Past tense. Rush, you remember this verse? He seated us with Christ. Like, I'm already there. I know many of you are going, well, I don't recall being there. <laughs> when was the last time I was seated in the heavenly places? I'm on a not too comfortable folding chair. So, what, what's going on here? And it is so, this is one of those verses that is so absolute and so true that the Lord speaks as if it already happened. Your place, if you are with Jesus, If you believe in Him, you love Him. Your place is so secure. Your seating in the arrangement in heaven is so secure. God looks at His oath. You're already sitting there. You're already home. Talk about the seating of the servants of the King of Kings. You think Solomon's was great? Queen of Sheba? You ain't seen nothing yet. Don't forget this, my friends. If you are in Christ, you already have not just an invitation. You have a seat at the table. little name tag there, right there waiting for you. And that's something to tell people about. The Queen of Sheba was amazed at the attire of Solomon's servants. This is I love this. She was impressed by what the ministers and cupbearers were wearing. How much more with you if you are in Christ Jesus? Paul says in Galatians 3.27, All of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. You want to wear some fine fashion? <laughs> Close yourself with Jesus. Put on the robe of righteousness, as Isaiah calls it. Wear Jesus. If you're in Christ, you're wearing Christ. And that's what baptism is all about. And I want to be clear on this. We baptize by immersion here at the bridge in this fellowship. But it's not because baptism saves you. Your faith in the grace of God saves you. But baptism is an astounding picture of what God does when you come to Him in faith. You are buried, Paul says, therefore with him in baptism, so that you might raise to walk in a newness of life. You are covered. You're immersed. It's like putting on a completely new outfit, but now the outfit is Jesus. Now track this with me, gang. Revelation 19.8, and this is astounding in and of itself. It was given to her, talking about the church, to clothe herself in fine linen, bright and clean, for the fine linen is the righteous acts of the saints it doesn't mean that your righteousness gets you to heaven. It doesn't mean that you've got to do certain good things to achieve you know, notoriety of some sort before the Lord and then get into heaven. That's not what he's talking about. Your righteousness is the righteousness that Jesus puts on you. When you wear Christ, you wear His righteousness. If you belong to Christ, righteous things will start to happen. You're going to start to live and behave and act righteously. You might go, okay, wait a minute, Rick. Wait, hang on. I know non-Christian people who act righteously. I know people in Jesus, or who are not in Jesus, but are really good people. They're charitable, they're loving, they're giving, they're compassionate, they're graceful. But they're not in Jesus. Are they not righteous? Hey, I'm not saying that there's not right things being done by people who aren't Christians. But listen to me. Every single one is being canceled out. Well, what do you mean by that? I mean because God is so perfect, if you've done one wrong thing in your life, it doesn't matter how much good you've done, you're not good enough. You're just not. You're not going to make it in. Well, what hope do we have? Clothe yourself with Christ. You wear the righteousness of Jesus, and it doesn't matter if you're 99% righteous and 1% sinful, you're saved. It doesn't matter if you're 99% sinful... And you have 1% of righteousness. Man, when you come to Jesus, He cleanses the whole thing. He washes you. You are clothed with Christ. Paul says in Romans 3.21, Apart from the law, set law aside, the righteousness of God has been manifested or seen. Being witnessed by the law and the prophets, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all those who believe. How do I get righteous? I believe in Jesus. I wear Jesus. Jesus. I accept Jesus, and His righteousness now covers me, which means when I do righteous things, <laughs> guess what? They count. Because I don't have any sin canceling it out. That's been covered. And now my righteousness is like the fine linen, the righteous acts of the saints. Does that make sense to everybody? When people see you acting righteously, you now can tell them why. Hey man, it ain't me, it's Christ. It's Christ in me. Because a greater than Solomon is here. Finally, gang, we see the Queen of Sheba. She was allured by Solomon's beautiful staircase. This is obviously important enough to be added in scripture. She saw the way by which he went up to the house of the Lord, and, and this was like the cap on the whole thing. Wow, beautiful, amazing. We have a staircase. Jacob, Jacob had a dream. Jacob, whose name was changed to Israel, father of the whole, you know, the whole Jewish thing. He had a dream back in Genesis 28. I'll let, let the Bible tell you about this. Verse 12, Jacob had a dream. And behold, a ladder was set on the earth which is with its top reaching to heaven. And behold, the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. And after this dream, it tells us in verse 17, Genesis 28, he was afraid and he said, How awesome! This is this place. This is none other than the house of God and this is the gate of heaven. Now we studied that back when we went through Genesis. Do any of you recall? What is the ladder? to the house of God. Well, let me rephrase that. Who is the latter? The latter's is Jesus. And the picture in the dream is a picture of Jesus. Jesus said in John 3.13, No one has ascended into heaven but He who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. Talking about Himself. We know that Jesus is the way to the Father. The only way to the Father. Are greater than Solomon. Who ascended into the heavens? You remember that great scene where the apostles are all standing around in Acts chapter one, and, and Jesus ascends before their very eyes, <laughs> and they're just mouths open, wow, watching, and, and two angels appear. What are you guys looking at? Well, why do you stand staring at the sky? Don't you know this Jesus who has ascended from you is going to come back the same way? He's coming back, yeah. He's coming back. Jesus said, if I go prepare a place for you, I'll come again and receive you to Myself, that where I am, there you may be also. I'm sure Solomon had a pretty staircase going up to the temple. I prefer Jesus. Because Jesus is my staircase to heaven. When a person like the Queen of Sheba journeys from curiosity to commitment, there are things like these that leave them breathless. When you begin to see Jesus for who He is greater than Solomon. And you know what happens next? Look at verse 9. Then she gave the king 120 talents of gold and a very great amount of spices and precious stones. There had never been spice like that which the Queen of Sheba gave to King Solomon. She begins to give. So we're going to go ahead and pass some baskets and trays right now and I'd like you to dig deep into your wallets and pocketbooks. I'm kidding. Just thinking, what a great setup, you know, to really get people ready. Hey, if you really love Jesus, got to give, man. No, but here's the truth, gang. When you begin to see Jesus for who He truly is, you want to take what's yours and give it to Him. And I'm not talking money and stuff and spices. You want to take what is precious to you. Coming to Jesus in curiosity leading to commitment results in conversion. Oh, you mean like becoming a religious person? No. No, I mean in converting what's precious to you into the currency of faith. Now what matters to me is, is in the hands of, of Him. Now what's important to me? I, I share first hour. I, I was sitting there and, and, I you know, please just go with me for a second when I, when I dote on my kids. But I was sitting in Naomi's room. Naomi and David, they share a little bedroom downstairs. And David was in his crib asleep, you know, snoring his head off. One year old, boy, that kid, he can saw. And Naomi's in her bed. She's kind of flopping around. and So I sat down there on the chair and I'm just watching and quiet. And I'm brooding. You know, over Naomi because I knew she was going to get out of that bed if I wasn't present. And I'm watching her, and it was quiet, and I'm kind of bored, to be honest. You know, just waiting for the kid to go to sleep. And the Lord said, "You know, why don't we, why don't we uh, spend a little time talking here?" And I started to pray, and I prayed for them. What did you pray for them, Rick? I just prayed that they would know Jesus. I prayed the same prayer that I prayed for Corey and Hannah and Hayden over and over, growing up. The same prayer that many of you parents have prayed over your kids. I don't care if they're successful. I don't worry about their future. None of that stuff. One thing, Lord, I want my kids to know Jesus. Please, Lord, help these little ones. Little David, help him to know Jesus. Naomi, may she know Jesus. Why would you pray that? And I'm not telling you this to sound all spiritual. I pray it because what's precious to me, I want to give to him. What matters most to me in my life, I want it in His hands. The Queen of Sheba gives us a pretty picture here of a woman who has all this stuff, this very large retinue, and when she sees the glory of Solomon, man, give it to him. I just want to add to that glory, not that I could add to the glory of Jesus. But I want everything that belongs to me in His hands. What is precious to you? I mean, think about that, game. What matters to you more than anything else in the world? When you come to Jesus, you just want to hand it over to him. I told you the Queen of Sheba may have converted to Judaism before returning to her country. You won't see this in Scripture necessarily, but you might see it in history. Their neighbors called them Falashas, forgotten ones. A group of people, interesting and discovered early in the 1800s. A Scottish explorer by the name of James Bruce found a tribe of rural Ethiopians. A group of people cut off from civilization. He discovered them for the first time. They were amazed at him. They had never seen anybody outside of their own tribe. Literally a people in a world of their own in the 1800s. The Falashas, people around them, other tribes called them forgotten ones, they called themselves Beta Israel, House of Israel. James Bruce, among others, were fascinated. How in the world did this people who know nothing of the outside world come to this place of being called House of Israel? To make matters more interesting, this small tribe of Ethiopians quoted Torah. They had been for centuries. They followed Jewish customs. They worshipped a Jewish God by the name of Yahweh. They were so utterly Jewish and yet so cut off, not anywhere near Israel. And the question was, how? How? How is that possible? As soon as they were discovered, anti-Semitism began to rise, which is interesting to me. Satan doesn't know everything, but when he finds something out, he goes after it. <laughs> and at that time, it became a problem. A new government came in, a Marxist government, around the later on in the, in the, in the 1900s, and between the 50s and the 80s, Anti-Semitism increased tenfold because suddenly now these people were being forced to mix in with other people, other groups. And when other groups saw that they were Jewish, they began to persecute them. What is it about Jewish people that people find so necessary to persecute? It's a satanic thing, gang. Always has been. And so they're under this intense persecution. Well, the nation of Israel, meantime, comes back into being, 1948. And in 1984, 8,000 Falashas, Beta Israel, were airlifted to Israel in what was called Operation Moses. In 1985, an additional 800 were flown out during Operation Joshua, which our first George Bush, first President Bush, was vice president at the time under Reagan, and and he orchestrated this. So they got 800 more out of Ethiopia, back to the land of Israel. But even for all that, two-thirds of these Ethiopian Jews were still stuck. In Ethiopia, still being severely persecuted, and it got worse and worse and worse. There was mass death that was happening. It was a terrible situation. Families were being divided and torn apart. Finally, on Friday, May 24, 1991, a small window opened. The Israeli Defense Forces removed all the seats from 34 L Al Jumbo jets. They brought in Hercules C-130 aircraft in a massive rescue effort. And in 36 hours, they airlifted 14,324 falashas and brought, them, brought the house of Israel home to Israel. Great story. Incredible story. By the way, that was called Operation Solomon. Why? Because Jewish scholars believe that Beta Israel, this group of Ethiopian Jews were actually descended from or connected to the Queen of Sheba. But they found their faith because she found her faith when she visited Solomon 2,800 years earlier. Verse 12 tells us this, King Solomon gave to the Queen of Sheba all her desire which she requested besides a return for what she brought to the king. Watch this. Then she turned and went to her own land with her servants. What did she take back with her? What did she take? A testimony? A witness? Did she go back to her people and say, I have seen glory, and it can only be glory of the one and only God and Father? I tend to think maybe that's what happened. She took it back. There's another story that's similar to that. You may recall the demon-possessed man. Jesus and his apostles went across the Sea of Galilee, and they came to the shore. And here's this man who is just out of his mind, and he's naked except for the chains that he's wearing, and he's bruised and battered and cut up and bleeding. And he comes and he's just frothing into the mouth. And Jesus walks up to him and has a conversation, you know, because Jesus is cool. It's amazing. I mean, we would have gotten back in the boat and rowed as quick as we could. (laughs) He's like, no, I gotta go talk to this guy and he casts those demons out you may remember the story they go into the pigs down the mountainside into the sea of Galilee the first bay of pigs you know (laughs) and this happens and we're told at the end of this here's the man now he's he's healed he's recovered he's in his right mind and as Jesus was getting into the boat Mark chapter 5 the man who had been demon possessed was imploring him that he might accompany him let me come with you it's the only time that I found in the gospels where someone said let me come with you and Jesus said no you can't come well, what did he say? He said, go home to your people and report to them what great things the Lord has done for you and how He had mercy on you. Go back and tell them, is it possible that the Queen of Sheba, that that curious journey culminated over 3,000 years later in the airlift by Israel? <laughs> you should read the stories about this airlift. It's amazing. Because these people had never been on an airplane. They didn't have any clue what was going on. They just knew they got into this thing and, and it started to rumble. That's all they knew. And they're in there lighting fires and cooking, you know. the captain had to come back and say, No, no, put out the fire. not a good thing. Not a good thing. (laughs) And they landed in Israel. And when the doors opened and they understood enough to know they were stepping out into the promised land, they danced and sang and the, the partying was incredible. Because they were home. They were brought home because, and listen to me, because the Falashas were not forgotten. And with Jesus Christ, there is no such thing as a Falasha. There are no forgotten ones. Uh, this is a great story because people say, well, what about the Africans? You know, What about someone who, who in, in maybe in a tribe somewhere has never heard about Jesus? How is that fair that they not know about Jesus and, and not get saved? There are no forgotten ones. The Falashas are a great picture of this, that God remembered them cut off from civilization for nearly 3,000 years God remembered them and brought them home God remembers He remembers when you come to the greater than Solomon Jesus Christ you need to know something you may be 10 years old or you may be 70 years old God has not forgotten about you He hasn't forgotten you know what my greatest proof of that is? Jesus hasn't come yet we've talked about this if Jesus had come then it would all be over but guess what you're sitting here this morning some of you and I don't know where you all are at in your faith maybe there's someone here maybe you have never really committed yourself to Jesus hey we're waiting (laughs) because God has not forgotten maybe you are a believer in Jesus and right now you're going through some hard time and life is not working out so well let me tell you something God has not forgotten you there are no falashas in Jesus Christ, our greater than Solomon, the King of Kings. Let's pray to Him. Lord Jesus, we praise You. We thank You that You are so good. Far beyond good, You are the greater than Solomon, the greater than the temple, the greater than all other things. And, and we just want to declare that this morning. I take great delight in saying this, Jesus. You are King of kings and Lord of lords. You're the Lord of my life. And I need you. I need your wisdom. Lord, I need to dine at your table. I need to wear the attire that you provide. I need you to provide that staircase for me to get to heaven. Lord, I need you and everything that you are. And I thank you for providing your grace that saves me. Lord Jesus, right now I pray if there is anyone here among us who has never never confessed faith in You, maybe is in a place of curiosity right now, that that curiosity would grow to commitment and to conversion, a complete changing of what's important in life. Lord, we know You're coming soon. We look forward to that coming. But until You come, clothe us with Your righteousness so that we might be a picture of so that people would look at us, see our good works, and glorify our Father who is in heaven. So that like Solomon with the Queen of Sheba, we might be just used by you to bring Jesus to other people that they will see your glory. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.